What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 67 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I pray that your 2020 is off to a great start. I know we had an incredible time sitting down to start the year with Ken Blanchard, Today, we get to continue in that vein of leadership by sitting down with another thought leader. I love people who see things that we all see, and they just see them a little different. Today's leader, Bob Teedy, who's worked with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is known now as Crew, for over 48 years, leads us by teaching us how to lead by asking questions. You know, it's really interesting when you think about it. One of the best ways to get someone where they need to go is know how to ask the right questions. And Bob and his book, Now That's a Great Question, gives us great ideas. And also one of his other works talks about how Jesus led by asking great questions. This is going to be thought-provoking. It's going to be challenging. And it's something I think will get you in a place. You go, you know, I've just never thought of it that way before. I hope you've got a pen. I hope you've got a pencil. You may not know Bob right off, but I promise you at the end of this episode, you'll be so thankful you listened in. And if you're a leader who leads teams, who leads different personalities, which is all of us, you're going to see the power of questions. And it's going to make you think before you walk into that meeting, before you walk into that review, it's going to make you think about questions beforehand that get their mind stirring so you can get them to the place that God created them to be. And that's our goal in leadership. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Cruz Bob Titi. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, it is my privilege. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, that makes two of us. You were so kind to send me some new books. Just what my wife wanted with some more books to add to my library. She was so excited. When they arrived at the house, she's like, oh, Lord, he's got three more. He's got three more he's going to read. You've been on staff with Campus Crusade, which is now called Crew for over 47 years. That is amazing. Did you ever dream you could be somewhere that long? Well, Mike, obviously I have no ability whatsoever to get a new job. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. When Sherry and I graduated from the University of South Dakota in 1971, we, uh, we felt called to come on staff. We thought we'll do this for a few years, and then we'll see where the Lord leads. It's uh, it's now, in fact, uh, as of this month, it is now forty eight years. Oh, that's crazy! That is crazy. Walk in, so we may have a lot of folks listening right now that are in the business sector or the athletic sector, and they're not familiar with Crew Campus Crusade. Tell everybody a little bit about what Crew's about and the difference you guys are making. Well, Crew is a, it started as a student movement uh, launched by Bill and Vanette Bright in 1951 on the campus of UCLA. And uh, that first year, somewhere in the neighborhood of over 300 students at UCLA committed their lives to Christ. Mm. And uh, the next year, the staff grew by six, six, six <laughs> new staff members. It's fascinating. Two of them are still on staff. Wow. In 1952. And, and of course, whenever we have the lineup of people that have been on staff the longest, uh, they make the stage and get, you know, standing ovations. But uh, the movement today, crew, 
is active in 190 nations, uh, 25,000 staff around the world. And while Crew Campus continues to be, you know, the flagship part of Crew, other Crew ministries include Family Life, Athletes in Action, uh, GAIN, which is Humanitarian Aid Ministry, uh, Here's Life City, which is really for business and professionals, Here's Life Inner City, to help uh, really to come alongside those ministries that are ministering to uh, those who are hurting in every uh, inner city in, in our land. Um, and so uh, my, my journey, our journey, my wife and I, uh, we spent our first eight years in crew campus in the state of Colorado, and then the state of Washington, and then the state of Oregon. Hmm. In 1979, the national director at that time uh, played matchmaker and brought Josh McDowell and myself together. That's what moved us to the Dallas, Texas area in 1979. The Josh McDowell Ministries, a division of crew. And uh, for the next 24 years, we had the privilege of directing the Josh McDowell Ministry. Now, Mike, people say, wait a minute, you mean Josh didn't direct his ministry? <laughs> well, I want to make it very clear. He was the visionary leader. In Navy terms, he was the captain. That's right. But in the Navy, there's also uh, a second in command called the executive officer. And uh, the job of the captain is to be, you know, on the bridge, so to speak, looking outside the ship for opportunities, danger, uh, but the focus is outside. That was Josh's focus, outside. And he's yep. incredible. He's like the man of Issachar who understood the times in order to know what to do. Mm. And my role, though, was like that executive officer on a ship, everything inside the ship. We were privileged to see the staff grow from a staff of eight in 1979 to over 150 uh, when we left in uh, 2003. And Mike, we, we could do program after program sharing the highlights of, of that journey. The doors to Russia opened and led 18 uh, mission trips, short-term mission trips to Russia with three to 400 participants. Uh, we had opportunities in Cuba, made five trips there. And uh, again, many exciting things. But uh in 2003, we stepped away from that role. We took a sabbatical. Crew brought us a number of opportunities, but the opportunity of, of being on the leadership development team is the one we felt called to, resonated with. And since uh, 2004, we've been on the global and U.S. leadership development teams. The mission is simple, developing the next generation of leaders for crew but Mike, I think what the listeners would also find interesting, though, is that you know what I call the elevator speech is actually true of every organization, every for-profit, non-profit, uh, not just crew. But but here's the elevator speech: in 15 to 20 years, almost none of our current leaders will still be leading. In their places will be the leaders we're now developing, or the leaders you know that are being developed in every organization. But any organization that fails to take that um, task seriously, in other words, they fail to develop that next generation of leaders, well, they're not likely to fail tomorrow or next week, next month, or even next year. But 15 to 20 years from now, that organization may fail. And sadly, history is filled with stories of organizations, again, for-profit, non-profit, churches, parachurch organizations, once vital and flourishing, and 15 to 20 years later, they may not exist or a shell of themselves. And when you dig around, the issues are always complex, but almost always one of them is there was no plan to pass the reins of leadership to the next generation. And so that's a responsibility we take seriously and uh, Mike, I just have to tell you, I'm having the time of my life. Love, absolutely love. Can't wait for Monday mornings. I love that. What are you, and I would love to dig into that a little bit. You've seen now 
since 1948 or for 48 years, you've seen the changing culture of students. You know, you've seen the, you've seen the Xers and now you see the millennials and now you're going to see next the Gen Zers that are coming. What are the things that are still universal that you're finding in these students' lives? I mean, you're, you're on the front lines developing that next generation. What are some of the things that business leaders and, and the men and the women in their 40s and 50s that are principals and athletic directors and, and CEOs, what are you learning? Because you're, you're knee-deep with these kids. What are you seeing coming in that generation? Mike, that's, that's a, a really great question. And, uh, and I'm going to, you know, give, give my response to that, but I want to come around the barn a little bit with this, this answer. Um, the great hockey player, former hockey player, Wayne Gretzky once said, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where it will be. Mm. And uh, there are men and women that are so wise that they skate to where the puck is going to be. They, they know it before they get there. I am not one of those leaders, but there's a scripture that I love. I love all the scriptures, but one of them I'm thinking of right now is man plans his way, but God orders our footsteps. Mm -hmm. And so some of us end up at the right place at the right time, not out of our own wisdom, but out of God directing our footsteps. And here's what's, what's really interesting. Uh, my blog leading with questions and this whole concept of leading with questions, it just turns out that it connects with millennials. <laughs> in other words, millennials like to work in a situation in which their input is requested and listened to. And so a leader uh, who will lead with questions to get input from all their staff, not just the millennials, but all their staff. It just turns out that millennials will respond and, and the sense of feeling valued, they will become loyal, they'll work hard uh, because they find a place in which, hey, my boss respects me, my boss values me. Now back to campus, the same thing is true of building relationships. And you know, in sharing uh, the good news of the message of Christ, we need to build relationships. And so, you know, some of my favorite questions are simply, hey, tell me your story. And then you listen. And, and then in listening, well, Mike, we may get to it in my book a little bit later. Uh, I have some listening tips. They work for all leaders, but they work anytime you want to have a conversation. They work when you're on an airplane and have a conversation with a seatmate. Uh, they work with millennials. They work with anybody. And so listening, uh, well, one of my dear friends, Andrew Sobel, author of, co-author of Power Questions in that book, he states this. It's a quote I love. Telling creates resistance. Asking creates relationships. And so for me, the key of relating to college students is to ask questions, mm. show an interest, and then listen sincerely, and then ask the second, the third, and maybe even the fourth question. Um, there's a, a tendency at times for us to hijack conversations. In other words, we ask a question they share an answer and we think, oh, I've been there. Or I've done that. Let me tell them what I know about that. That's good. And uh, instead, it's much better to ask. In other words, with whatever they've said, pick something from that and ask a second question. To ask, go that, ask that follow. And that wasn't always reading your stuff. That wasn't always true of you, was it? Oh, I think absolutely. I read 2000 <laughs> to 2006. You read something you said changed your life. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, Mike, the, the first chapter of my newest book, Now That's a Great Question, starts with a confession. And uh, in answering your question, my confession is that for most of my crew career, I was a benevolent dictator. Mm. Now, I share that to say 
the only paradigm of leadership that I had was that a leader needs to tell. A leader needs to uh, tell the staff, here's what needs to be done. Now, that leader needs to use please and thank you. <laughs> and that leader needs to acknowledge and appreciate jobs well done. I mm -hmm. trust that I did that. But it was my only paradigm of leadership. And you mentioned 2006. In 2006, my, my, my wife loves to go to bookstores. In fact, we went to a bookstore yesterday. And she goes all over the bookstore. She always knows when she's ready to go, she just needs to find me in the leadership section. <laughs> and my normal practice, uh, it was true yesterday, is you pull several books off the shelf, peruse them. Most of the time, they all go back on the shelf. Occasionally, one comes home. Well, in 2006, I found the book by Dr. Michael Morfort. Mike has, has now become a friend. But on that day, I didn't know Dr. Michael Marquardt, but I saw his book, Leading with Questions. I only perused a few pages and said, this one's going home. It was a page turner for me. Mm, mm. And the reason it was such a page turner is that I saw a new paradigm of leadership. And that paradigm is that a leader could be up to 10 times more effective by leading with questions rather than telling. And, and as I read it, another thing I like is uh, I quickly saw the powerful questions that a leader could ask. I didn't need to draft those. I could steal them, borrow them. <laughs> and they were simple. And like, you know, I'll never forget uh, in that book, now he tells many, many stories, many, many examples but one I'm thinking of right now was uh, Navy Captain Michael D. Abershaw. Yep. He took over the command of the USS Benfold, one of our most modern warships. When he took it over, morale, however the Navy measures that, was the lowest in the Navy on any ship. That ship had the lowest morale in the Navy. 18 months later, when they retested morale, it was the highest morale mm -hmm. of any ship in the Navy. And the first thing Captain Abershoff did when he took over command, and it must have taken a month, but he had 300 15-minute interviews with 300 sailors, each of those interviews lasting about 15 minutes each. And Mike, you'll love this. He asked three questions. These are great questions for any leader to ask, but they're so simple. What he asked the sailors were, what do you like best about this ship? Second question, what do you like least? Third question, what would you change if you could? And by the end of the first day, I mean, maybe he'd only interviewed 10, uh, 15 sailors, but there was a buzz on the ship. The new captain's different. Mm -hmm. He actually cares what we think. He actually asked for our input. Now, Captain Abershoff did not promise to make every change every sailor asked, but it didn't take very long, and he began to hear things. It was kind of like from his view as a captain, what do you mean we're not doing that? Or why wouldn't we do that? Yep. And so it didn't take long that the sailors began to see changes take place based on their input. And so it was like, not only does a captain care, he actually listens and, and then he actually takes many suggestions to heart, and we've actually seen the change. So, you know, you feel like he's not just asking to, you know, make us feel good, but then nothing happens. Right. And, and just think of the wisdom of the captain. A leader who leads with questions will often be 10 times more effective. Mm. He didn't have to rely just on his own thinking, which I'm sure is brilliant. But he got the wisdom of 300 sailors. And no doubt, if we could you know, add him to the conversation, there would be things he learned from them that he thought, wow, I'm so glad I asked. That's I so true. Kind why, of do you, why do you, you know, that makes so much sense. Why do you think that's not the normal, and I'm not going to say human tendency, but the normal leader tendency, they get the role, they get the job, they get the title and the benevolent dictator is a great way to say that I become the benevolent dictator 
say, I love how you said it, say please and thank you. Why do you think that this low-hanging fruit isn't grabbed more? Well, I can only share my own story. Of course, there are leaders who instinctively do it right. But uh, I think for most of us, we've never seen that other paradigm. Mm. And the, in other words, what we tend to mimic the leadership we've seen. That's right. And, um, and, and mind you, leading by telling, it's not like those people, those leaders accomplish nothing. It's not like they all have failed. It's just they haven't seen another way. And in, in my first book, Great Leaders Ask Questions, uh, I share that I'm a charter member of TA. And of course, I, I don't say what that stands for on purpose. And, uh, you know, I'll ask an audience, uh, who here is familiar with TA? And of course, you know, no one is. And I say, well, what it stands for is Tellers Anonymous. <laughs> and I go, to, I go to our meetings and I'm a charter member and I stand up and say, my name's Bob. I'm a teller. And they say, right. oh, Bob. Well, of course, uh, you know, that's fictitious. But if it did exist, I would be a charter member. Yep. But the truth is, and, you know, our listeners and you, Mike, may even pick it up today. Bob loves to tell. I love to share stories. <laughs> I love tell. I've loved to tell ever since I was a little boy. And telling comes naturally. Yep. I, I confess also that asking, I mean, to this day, yes, I have this blog. Yes, I've written these books. What comes naturally to me is telling. Mm, mm. What, uh, what I do out of uh, intentionality and focus is to lead by asking because I now know it's more effective. It yep. builds relationships. It, it allows me to, to access the brain power of everyone at the table. Mm. Mike, sometimes I ask this rather silly question. I'll ask it of you, but it's a silly question. Mike, if you were in a rowboat with your entire team and there were oars for everyone and the goal is to get to the other side of the lake as quick as possible, how many of them would you like to have row with you? Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh. That's right. That's right. Why would that same leader want to sit at the conference table figuring out what's the best way for us to solve X, Y, or Z? Or, to, you know, in other words, to get to the other side of the lake of this issue as quick as possible successfully. And you be the only one with the ro mm -hmm. with the oar in the water. In other words, only your brain power is figuring yep. out what is the best way forward. Why would you not want to access all their brain power by saying, team, what do you think we might do? That's so good. That's so good. You know, you made a comment in one of those books. You talked about that curiosity has affected how we ask questions. And you, and you said there's four fear, assumptions, environment, and technology have adversely affected curiosity. Why is that true? Why, why does curiosity in an in a interpersonal relationship, whether it's in the office or even in the neighborhood, it's just somebody you're building a relationship with, why have we lost, why have those things worked against our curiosity of knowing more about people? Mm. Well, for me, and I think true for a lot, um, it's just our innate human nature um, works against. And and a lot of times we are, what would I say, unaware. We, we do uh, over and over and over something, and uh, we're not aware that there's another better way. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my book, one of the things, and it relates to this, uh, is uh, one tip for becoming a better listener is to not hijack the conversation. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Mike, uh, let me ask you, where did you go on your last vacation? To Destin, Florida. Wow, Destin, Florida. Hey, let me tell you about the times I went to Destin, Florida, and what my wife loved to do. And it's like, you know, now, Mike, in this case, I actually haven't been to Destin. But so often when somebody says, you know, we say, where have you been? It's, oh, we just took the family to Walt Disney World. Oh, fabulous. And then we want to tell them about all the times we went to Walt Disney World. Mm. Uh, or, you know, whatever the topic is, 
them bringing it up, and what we've done is hijacked. But here's the other thing. With total unawareness that we've just hijacked it. Mm. In other words, it, it doesn't even, we didn't intentionally do that. We didn't say, oh, I don't want to know about Mike's time and Destin. I want to tell him about mine. Without thought, we go there. And so with curiosity, I think so often, um, well, there's, there's another uh, statement, a quote, uh, I don't know if it's original with him, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but his, his statement was, uh, you know, building relationships is about being interested, not about being interesting. Mm. Oh, and, that's good. And, you know, Mike, so often what, what we're doing is when you say you've been the destined, and then I want to jump in and tell you all about my time is I want to, you know, like make you feel like, wow, Bob is really uh, interesting. Well, the key to building a relationship is, is to say, hey, Mike, uh, what'd you all do in Destin? That's so good. That's so good. This art of asking questions, and you do a great job in your book, and I really will we'll have links in the show notes to order books and everything. Um, Mike, can I, can I interrupt? Yes, please. <laughs> Can I tell? <laughs> yes, please. Um, everyone listening, all my ebooks are free. Wow. Leadingwithquestions.com. And there you will see links for requesting the download of the first book, Great Leaders Ask Questions. The second book, 339 Questions Jesus Asked. The third book, Now That's a Great Question. They're all available for free download. Love it. So, uh, just, just know that as we talk about, one of the reasons I'm so excited about my books is they're free. I love it. And everybody else gets excited about that. <laughs> that is wonderful. And you do a great job, Bob, in your book, giving tips and walking. Because like you said, it's not as natural an instinct because of sometimes society that it should be and technology and all the other things that work against us. Walk us through some questions and some tips that you could give our listeners that you've learned that's, that, are, that are in your new book, a great question. Walk us through some of the lessons you've learned and some of the yeah. things that may help them as a leader. Well, again, I'd be delighted. Um, Mike, when, whenever I speak on this topic, leading with questions, uh, I will ask, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, thankfully, every hand in the audience goes up. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, I, uh, I, I choose a particular person from the audience, invite them to, to come stand beside me or come up on the stage if there's a stage. And, and Mike, as I'm looking at the audience today, I see Mike. <laughs> so Mike, will you join me on the stage here? And uh, and Mike, the reason I always say this to whoever I pick, the reason I picked you is, is I sense you have a photographic mind. You'll only have to hear my four favorite questions one time and you'll have them memorized. So uh, Mike, are you ready? Ready. Here they are. My first favorite question is, what do you think? The second one is, what else? The third one is, what else? The fourth one is, what else? Mm. Mike, do you have them memorized? I do have them memorized. <laughs> Let me hear them. What do you think? What else? What else? What else? Yes. Now, as listeners are hearing that, they may think, well, you can't ask what else, what else, what else. But imagine, though, this is a conversation. And I've asked Mike, hey, what do you think about? What do you think we might do? And Mike begins to answer. And I say, wow, Mike, what else? And so Mike talks some more. And I say, wow, now there's some other forms that you can ask what else. Hey, say more about that, Mike. Or, uh, Mike, I'm taking notes. Don't, don't stop now. Um, and, and, but it's forms of what else. And here's an observation, and that is when we're asked a question, we many times, our initial response, and again, we do this subconsciously or unconsciously, is 
is we, we, we roll out kind of what we think is a safe answer. And we're carefully reading the face of the one who asked. Mm. Are they, they nodding kind of like pleased with the answer or are they shaking their head or, or <laughs> should the person say, Oh Mike, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. Well, Mike's not going to say another word, yep. but when Bob leans in and says, wow, what else? Well, Mike's going to share more. And when Bob says, wow, keep, keep talking, say more about that. Well, Mike's beginning to think that Bob must think he's brilliant. Mm. And Bob has created this safe environment in which now the third and fourth question actually leads to the gold nugget, where Mike now shares his very best thoughts. And, uh, and so that's why I say ask the what else three times. That's good. But here's another observation of that whole thing. The reason I asked the audience if they'd like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds is, Mike, sometimes I imagine as, as leaders are hearing this, they're thinking, well, that would be good. But, you know, learning to lead with questions is kind of like having to go get a master's in questionology. It's a nice thought, but probably not going to happen. You know, like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to, if we were all brain surgeons and could yeah. make a kind of money, but, you know, not likely to happen. Um, but when you see you can learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds, and for a leader who's only led by telling, if they'll take those four questions and begin to use them with their team, in, in, when the whole team is gathered, gang, what do you think we might do here? Mm -hmm. Wow, what, what else? Uh, keep talking. Or in their one-on-ones with their team members, they'll ask. They really will be on the road to leading with questions when they start using those four. Uh, Mike, it's what I love about this concept is it is simple. It just requires the paradigm shift in your brain of understanding. Mm -hmm. And then, Mike, if I can ask you another question related to, uh, to what is my favorite question, and that is, what do you think? Mike, when you've had a, a boss, a supervisor, a director, ask you, hey, Mike, what do you think we ought to do about such and such? How did them? How did the fact that they asked you what you thought make you feel? Well, yeah, it makes you feel valid. It makes you feel like they do care whether they do or not. They make you feel like they do care, and you add value to the organization. Yeah, I find this fascinating. Without them saying, "Mike, I value you," Mike, <laughs> that's right. Like you have a lot to offer here. Uh huh. Just the act of asking the question made you feel that way. So, so Mike, the second question is, if that's how you have felt when you've had a superior ask you what you thought about some issue, how will your staff feel when you ask them what they think you might do? That's right. Well, and what I love about it, and as I was reading your, your book, um, there is a camaraderie that comes with it that you can't build any of your, we're always talking about culture and reading on culture and business culture, church culture, all that. But culture's created in, in that environment that everybody's a part and questions are such a big piece of that. I would love to know, you know, you've written now three books uh, on this. Do you have to continually work at it? Is this something that you go, it's a skill that I have to stay on top of because by nature, I'm a teller? Absolutely. It, it um, you know, when going back to Tellers Anonymous, and, and again, I never want to make light of those that have uh, addictions, um, but but there really is a parallel. I really am addicted to telling mm. and, um, and leading with questions doesn't come naturally. It, it requires intentionality. Sure. And, uh, and there's times that I find myself slipping back into my addiction. Mm. Uh, mm. there's times that, uh, 
I hijack a conversation and say later to myself, or even as I'm doing it, oh, T.E.D., you know better than this. <laughs> uh, you know better than this. What is it that compels you? And, and I realize it's my addiction to telling. Love it. Uh, and so, you know, you just have to go back. It, you know, like my favorite question, what do you think? There's a quote from Henry David Thoreau that I absolutely love. It's here on my wall. It says, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Mm, mm. And, you know, I know that's, that's a truth. And so I know when I ask people for what do you think? And, you know, you ask them a question to get their input that they actually feel that as a compliment. And of course, it requires a second thing, he said, and attended to my answer. That's right. In other words, that they, they actually listened. Um, so one of my granddaughters, when she was like really young, would ask a question and before you could answer, she'd run away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so don't be that leader. That's right, uh, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned uh, also, uh, I mean, a leader could think, okay, yeah, this is a great technique. I'm going to now build relationships by asking questions. Mike, if you're going to ask questions, what's required next? Listening. Yes. You've got to listen. And, and if you aren't going to listen, don't ask. Mm. I love it. You know, some of the questions you had in your book, will become staples now on this podcast. You know, I loved it really. You know, I'm a pastor for a living. So every Sunday, my the, the majority of my income is made being a teller and, and standing up on the stage. The sad part of that is you can carry that into day-to-day -day life. And the beauty of the podcast has been nobody tunes in to care about me. That's the best part of this is I get to ask questions. But one of the questions that you had in there, and I would love to flip it on you, was you, you, one of the questions was, what are three or four events that have shaped your life? As you look back now on your journey, 48 years with crew, grandchildren, great marriage the, of, a, of your college sweetheart, as you look about, back now in the rearview mirror of your life, what are some of the events that have shaped you into who you are today? Mike, I'm, I'm honored that you asked. And um, this question doesn't usually get flipped back on me. Um, the, the first one is, is something, Mike, I am still pondering. Um, and there's a story that goes with it. When we joined the staff of crew, uh, one of, the re one of the privileges of Campus Crusade staff is that they raised their own support. Mm -hmm. And uh, we joined the staff in 71, and we were back in my home state of South Dakota, and we were out you know, meeting, visiting with people, inviting them to join our team. Uh, one afternoon, we had some time, and we stopped by my maternal grandfather's home. He lived about 30 miles away from where I grew up, and as I think back on it, um, I spent lots of time with my grandpa Titi, who lived four miles from where I grew up. But I generally only saw Grandpa Walters at family gatherings. And, and my mother was part of a family of eight. And so a family gathering of, of eight kids and all their children. And, you know, I know I got a hug and a pat on the head. But, uh, you know, there wasn't really one-on-one -on -one time, hmm. even though there was good time. And uh, but this particular day, you know, now we're a college graduate and we pull in and grandpa's there and we sit and visit and we share with him what we'd be doing. And uh, it was like, you know, I looked at the watch. It was time to go. And so, uh, you know, I stood up and grandpa stood up and uh, just in leaving, I, I said, well, grandpa, you'll need to pray for us. And for whatever reason, when I said that, it triggered something within my grandpa. Tears began to roll down his cheeks. And he said, Robert, 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 don't you know 
that from the day we heard your mother was pregnant, we didn't know if you were a boy or a girl. Mm. But from that day to this day, there's never been a day that I haven't prayed for you. And, and then we sat back down. We stayed another, I think, two hours. And he began to share stories. But the first one he shared that I'm still pondering and feel like it marked my life. And, and Mike, I'll just say, I don't fully understand this one. Mm. He said, Robert, on the day you were born, before we could come see you, we had to milk the cows. They were farmers. And he said, your grandmother went out to gather the cows. And when she came back, I could see that something had happened to her. And her name was Mary. He said, Mary, what happened? And she said, God spoke to me. And he said, well, what did God tell you? And she said, God told me that Robert is going to serve the Lord. Mm. And my experience with my grandmother is that she was a strong woman of faith. She was a praying woman. She was a giver. But I did not experience her as someone who constantly said to people, oh, uh, God's given me a word for you. Right. Right, and, and I did not know that story. I'm 22 now. My grandmother had never shared it with me. My grandpa on that day shared that with me. And, uh, you know, so I share, I became a believer my freshman year at the University of South Dakota when a group of fraternity men from Iowa State who were involved with crew spoke in our fraternity house. Three of them shared their stories of how they became believers at Iowa State. And the fourth one shared the message of the gospel, and they had a pray, you know, if you'd like to invite Christ into your heart, you can pray along silently as they pray to prayer out loud, or as this, the last speaker prayed that prayer. And I pray and receive Christ. And, you know, I can look at that, and, and, and I kind of view that as that's the tip of the iceberg, the part that I can see, this mm-hmm. other part, uh, I'm still pondering. But I feel like the prayers of my grandparents marked my life even before I was born as the first event. The second event uh, would have been high school debate. Um, I, I didn't know that I would be a speaker and, and uh, lots of things, but that, that gave me a great deal of confidence. I, I look back very grateful for my high school speech coach. Um, the third event would have been uh, those fraternity men speaking in my house. Um, and, and then there's so many events, hard to choose from, but I'll jump forward to say, uh, coming across Dr. Michael Morcourt's book, Leading with Questions mm-hmm. in 2006, another event that I had no idea when I pulled that book off the shelf, how much that would shape going forward of my life you know being in leadership development being a teller being um, somebody they recognized as a strong leader josh mcdowell one of the foremost guys in the world recognizing you making you his xo as you said earlier that leadership ability was always there right you you you've got it you're refining it but that day in 2006, you chose another path. You said, I'm going to choose the path of an asker, not a teller. Any regrets now? Any regrets looking back going, I should have stayed that path. It would have been easier to be that. Any regrets? Well, yeah, it's a huge one. The regret is, TD, why didn't you know this earlier? <laughs> wow. Only imagine Mm. What a difference this could have made in those 24 years directing Josh McDowell ministry if you'd known this. Mm. And and again, the staff there were so wonderful. There's still so many good friends. And anytime I bump into one of the former staff somewhere, there's always a hug and an embrace and and a checking in with one another. Uh, You know, so I'm not wanting to paint that, you know, like it was all bad. But, uh, you know, there's another, I love quotes, uh, another quote, I'm sorry, I can't give credit to the, the person who wrote it, 
But a good leader is known by how many followers they have. A great leader is known by how many leaders they've developed. That's so good. And, uh, you know, Mike, if you and I had bumped into one another while I was uh, directing Josh McDowell Ministry, and if you'd asked me, hey, Bob, how do you feel about leadership development? I'd have said, I'm for it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you'd asked me, well, well, Bob, uh, you know, what's that look like here at Josh McDowell Ministry? I would have said, and actually thought this was very clever, I would have said, well, Mike, you know, my observation is a lot more is caught than taught. And if people just hang around me, they're going to learn a lot. Yep. And and again, you could have nodded your head like you've just done, said, yep, yep. And I could have thought, great answer. But if you'd have followed that with this question, kind of an observation, a question, well, you know, Bob, there's a lot of truth to that, but that kind of sounds like incidental leadership development. What are you intentionally doing to develop leaders? I would have been deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no real concept. I might have stuttered and stumbled and said, well, we've read a few books together. Mm-hmm. Um, but this reminds me of, of in, I'm guessing it was 2004 or five, I had opportunity to be in Birmingham, Alabama, and I had opportunity to have breakfast with Pastor Chris Hodges, mm. and, and he had rather recently planted the Church of the Highlands, and today that is a multi-site church, and I think 25,000 plus members, but over breakfast that morning, uh, he shared something I, I trust I'll never forget. And, uh, and he, uh, again, if you met him, uh, and I want to communicate to you and the audience, a, a very humble man, uh, what I'm sharing could sound like, you know, uh, who's he think he is, but no, that's not the spirit at all. He said, Bob, ever since I uh, planted this church, I disciplined myself never, ever to ask two questions. He said, now these two questions, they're, they're not like immoral or wrong. In fact, they're very natural, but there's, there's a reason I've chosen never to ask these two questions. He said, Bob, what would you guess are the two questions that almost every pastor in the world asks every Monday morning? So, Mike, what do you think they might be? Mm. One of them could be, am I making a difference? Um, that's a great question. I don't know what the second one would be. Oh, money. What What was the offering in nickels and noses? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Nickels and noses. And I laughed and said, well, I'm not guilty of that. <laughs> but that's only because I'm not a pastor. Mm-hmm. I am guilty of asking those questions. I just don't have the rhythm of Monday morning. Yep. And again, he smiled and he said, now, you know, those are very natural. Pastor walks in. Hey, what was the offering yesterday? What was our attendance? He said, now, there's a reason I never asked those. He said, just so you know, I have my way of finding out the answers to those. But if I walked in every Monday morning and those were my first two questions, it would not matter. What I told my staff was really, really important. They would instinctively know to Pastor Hodges, what's really, really, really important is nickels and noses. Hmm. He said, Bob, there's only one question that I ask. He said, there's only one question on the development review form for all our staff by which they can get merit pay increases. We actually use the same question, Bob, with all our lay leaders. We actually use the same question in evaluating every program of the church. He's eating a few more bites of pancakes. And and then he said, by any chance, would you like to know the one question? <laughs> So, uh, Mike, how about you? Any chance you'd like to know his one question? Absolutely. His one question is, what are you doing to develop leaders? Mm. And uh, and just, you know, as he said, it's the only question on the, uh, the review by which a staff member can get a, uh, an annual increase. Mm. And he said, you know, I've got a lot of... Uh, recent seminary grads on staff. He said, if they thought 
the way to get that merit pay increase was to make sure whoever's teaching their Sunday school class does the absolute best job. He said they would each teach it 50 weeks out of the year. Only when they go on vacation would they find a substitute. But he said that's not the question. In fact, if they teach it 50 weeks of the year, they're likely to get zero increase. But when I ask, what are you doing to develop leaders? And they say, well, we now have four others ready to start teaching their own classes. I've worked with four different people. They each taught the class for eight weeks uh, during this last year. That person, uh, him or her, is likely to get the large pay increase. And, and I share that going back to it is one of my regrets not to have understood that. That's good. Uh, that focus on, and again, how do leaders learn to lead? I think it's by giving them opportunities to lead. Yeah. Um, we, uh, oh, there's, there's an old adage, uh, watch one, do one, train one. Um, you want to teach a, a child to change a tire. Let them watch you. Second, now you change the tire. Yep. And I'll watch you. Now, third, bring your brother out here. You're yep. now going to train your brother on how to change yep. the tire. And by the time they've done those three things, you know, are they the world's expert? Probably not. But do they have confidence that they can do it? Absolutely. Mm. And, uh, and so thinking on watch one, do one, train one, uh, and the focus on, again, when we ask a question, when, well, Mike, another thing I love to do, it's another uh, tip. A uh, staff member comes to you with a problem. And, and Mike, I'll just ask you this. And, and uh, they come to you with the problem. And, and in fact, you know exact, the exact solution. You've, this is something you've done many, many times. They haven't. What are you tempted to do? when they come to you with that problem and say, Mike, what should I do? Tell them the answer. Fix yeah. It for them. Yep. Yeah. One of my uh, previous supervisors, I, I so appreciate his transparency. He said, Bob, not only do I tell them the answer, he said, I'm thinking as they walk away, they're so glad they asked. <laughs> <laughs> as, you know, I gave them the solution. That's, right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. When we do that, we are developing followers. Mm. We're giving people fish rather than teaching them how to fish. That's so good. But here's my suggestion. Next time that happens, well, my, can I share my second favorite question? Please. My second favorite question, even when I'm asked a question, is can you, can you please say more about that? Can you tell me more? Mm. And, and in my book, I share this funny story. Um, Johnny, age seven, comes running into the house, yelling at his mother, Mom, 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 where did I come from? And she's thinking, he's seven. I was not expecting this question. So she gathers her thoughts. She invites little Johnny into the living room, and she begins to share all about the birds and the bees. Johnny's eyes are wide as saucers, taking in every word. And when she's done, she says, so, Johnny, do you now understand where you came from? And he blurts out, no. Joey said he came from California and asked me where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Do you think that mother wished that she had known about Bob's favorite second question? Can you that's please exactly tell right. me more? Because if she'd asked Johnny, can you please tell me more? He would have blurted out, Joey says he came from California and asked me where I came from. Johnny, you were born right here in Texas. Tell him you're from Texas. That's so good. Yeah. Saved a lot of heartache. Yeah. And she could have saved the birds and the bees story for when that actually was the question. But, but again, it's a silly, a simple, fun little story. But how many times do we actually miss what the issue is? because they blurt out a question and we think, oh yeah, I know what that is. And we begin to answer. And mm -hmm. even when we choose to answer as the mother did, we're actually not answering the question they're asking. Mm -hmm. 
And so my favorite second question is, can you please tell me more? I love that. Now, in a leadership thing, next would be, well, Mike, what do you think would be the best approach on that or the best solution or the best way forward? And Mike may say, oh, you're not going to give me the answer. And I might say, well, Mike, do you want me to give you a fish or do you want me to teach you to fish? Mm-hmm. And Mike said, I guess, uh, yeah, teach me to fish. Well, Mike, sure. what do you think might be the best way? That's wow. And are there alternatives? What would be a couple alternatives to that? And, uh, and after you've shared some of those, well, Mike, of, of all the options, which do you think now would be the best way? Wow. And, um, you know, depending on the issue, whatever. Uh, so, Mike, what's going to be your first steps? What do you need to do first in, in executing on that? And, uh, wow, Mike, I think you've got a great a great solution here. And, uh, and we've just helped Mike figure out the way forward. But there's another benefit of all of this. Mike, if I tell you what to do, but inside you're thinking, I don't think that'll work. How likely are you to give that 100% to execute on it? Very, very unlikely. <laughs> yeah. But when you're the one who came up with the idea, how much do you own now that idea? That's right. 100%. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and so you're going to go for it. Mm. And as a leader, we also, I mean, we need to realize, uh, I realize this, and but it took me time, is, um, yeah, I see the mountain peak, and, and I know the way I would climb it, but if they see that same peak, and their route to climb is different than mine, that's okay. Hmm. That's okay, because climbing their route, their way, they're going to own it. And who knows, it may actually turn out their route's better than mine. Yep. And so when we tell and we you know, give step-by-step instructions, which I used to be so guilty of, yep. um, I was developing followers, not developing leaders. On Chris Hodges' pay scale increase, I would have gotten zero increase. That's so good. That is so good. You know, you have left, as we wrap up today, you've left quite a legacy. I mean, you've invested what I love about what you've done. You've invested your life in generations, not just in your generation or the generation right behind you, but in generations. What do you want Bob TD remembered for? What do you want them when, when, you're no longer the one asking the questions anymore, and it's the legacy you've left. What do you want to? What do you want the difference to you that you've made to have been? Mike, I'm I'm frequently asked, why is everything free on your on social media? Why are all your books free eBooks? And and here's the answer, and it actually relates uh, to what you're sharing. Um, it would be nice to think that my books would, you know, sell millions and millions and I could be very wealthy, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the reality is, um, it really would be minor income and, you know, kind of using the MasterCard, uh, that one advertisement or paradigm of, you know, you could add up and say, okay, Bob, you could have, you know, $20,000 here. Or behind door two, instead of $20,000, you could be making a difference in not only how leaders lead, but I actually get even more excited about this, making a difference on how staff are being led. Mm, amen. And, uh, and to me, that's priceless. And, um, and, and to know it's not about Bob. It's about equipping leaders to lead in a 10 times better way so that not only are they 10 times more effective, but that their staff are better led and that they're, they're developing leaders, not just followers, mm. and that 
that gets multiplied. In other words, I, I may be pushing over a domino, mm. but but to see that there's many more dominoes, and that in in even by the time you know that leader leads with questions, the staff may never hear of Bob, but what they have is a model of a leader who's leading with questions, and because they have that model, they have an example to follow that was different than all the examples I had. And so uh, my, my hope, my wish is for leaders to be 10 times more effective and in turn reproducing staff who lead in that way that continues to be 10 times more effective so that every staff member, and of course being more effective, Mike, is not just at the office, Dads who lead with questions. Right. That's right. Moms who lead with questions will be ten times more effective at home, and uh, and so that they can all benefit relationally. Um, you know, two thoughts. King Solomon once said, "A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in sharing his own opinions." Amen. Uh, oh, Bob has often been that fool, <laughs> and. Uh, but uh, I do not want to be. And then there's a a quote from Henry Cloud says, when you give advice, the brain is basically asleep. If you engage them and ask questions that help them come to their own insights, it comes alive. And so, uh, Mike, it's not so much that I want to be remembered but that I want to start a wave here where even when it's no longer attached to Bob, and again, none of this is original with me. You know, thank God for Dr. Michael Morquart. That's right. But if he was part of this interview, he'd point to others. You know, we all stand on the shoulders of others, and I'm just a link in this chain, and it's it's been fun. But, Mike, it's been an honor to be with you today. I hope you enjoyed that time with Bob. You know, it's so interesting each time when I sit down with guests. I know of them. Of course, I read up on them and I read about them. But Bob was a guy I didn't know. And I really didn't know going into the interview how it was going to go. And I thoroughly enjoyed our time. In fact, I was very challenged by it in the area of not only my own leadership, but even by asking him questions. When you ask a question, ask her questions it's a, it's a little intimidating, and I thoroughly enjoyed Bob. I know that I told him about a few of the guys that are in leadership groups that I lead, and Bob was so kind to shoot them these books. And, uh, man, I tell you what, that just told me so much about him as not only a, a leader but also as a person who's wanting others to be operating at their very best. You know, when you think about Jesus' life and ministry, how many of the parables, how many of the stories of Jesus you see where Jesus is asking the right questions? So, so good. In our next episode, we get to sit down with brand new author, Jordan Rayner. He's got a new book that's just released that you are going to love. He's an incredible business leader, but he's an incredible business leader whose faith is holding the steering wheel. And you are going to love our time with Jordan Rayner. For all of you that have taken time to hit reviews for us, thank you. Our most recent review came from ND Kid back in November of 2019. He said, Mike has a wide variety of guests that are that share how they bring Bible-based leadership into the church world and secular business. These are real people who are leading amazing lives with a deep faith. Mike's also a down-to-earth person that makes these interviews a pleasure to listen to each week. You can tell that he thoroughly researches his guests, asks them insightful questions that brings out those great leadership lessons. I highly recommend this podcast for any leaders, but really anyone who wants to lead with their faith out in front. Thanks, Indy Kid. That means the world. I love doing these because I, along with you, get to learn from these amazing people. I'm just glad we get to do it together. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, do share it with friends. It it is a great opportunity to take what you're learning and extend it to those around you. I know our team, we just shared a great podcast by Jeff Henderson with our team at North Star, and it's so easy to do. I hit link there in iTunes and just shared it with our entire group, and we were all able to dialogue about it. If this show's meant something to you, we'd love to have you do that or leave a review on iTunes or just keep listening, which will be just fine with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.